As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Well, hello there. I am Nurse Mo, and welcome or welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast, where I teach concepts and share tips on how to thrive in nursing school and at the bedside. Before we hop into discussing today's topic, let's take a quick minute for our listener shout out. And this came through on Apple Podcasts to someone who is using the name Gratefully527. And they say this, So grateful for this podcast. I did an ABSN hybrid program with very little instruction. It mostly consisted of book reading, and I felt so lost, stressed, and afraid. Your podcast encouraged me, supported me, and cheered me on, and now I am a nurse, though I still have a lot to learn. I hope you continue to help many more people on their journey. Thank you very much for the time and effort you put into this podcast and your nursing career. Well, thank you so very much for taking time to submit your feedback and review of the podcast. I am absolutely thrilled that it helped you get through your ABSN program and and feel less of that feeling of being lost, stressed, and afraid. So I'm so proud of you for finishing school, graduating, becoming a nurse. And again, thank you so much for taking the time to let me know. Okay, so today's topic is gout. So gout is a type of inflammatory arthritis that can lead to significant pain and lack of mobility. It occurs when hyperuricemia leads to the formation of crystallized monosodium urate, or basically sodium salt crystals, which get deposited in joints, tendons, and bursa which causes swelling and pain. And I was reading some websites about the pain associated with gout, and one of the patient stories examples that was shared said this woman or I, woman or man, I don't remember, but they were saying that even just having a sheet touching the joint that was affected was too much for them. It was so painful that that was incredibly excruciating. And then even the vibrations caused by someone else walking across the room would cause significant pain in their affected joints. So gout can be really, really painful. So gout can be primary or secondary. The exact cause of primary gout is not fully understood. In most patients, gout occurs due to a decreased excretion of uric acid, and in others, it occurs due to overproduction of uric acid. Both pathologies lead to elevated uric acid levels or hyperuricemia. Now, it's important to note, however, that hyperuricemia on its own does not cause gout. Many people have elevated urate or uric acid levels and do not develop gout. Now, secondary gout develops as a consequence of another condition. Common conditions that predispose someone to gout include obesity, hypertension, diabetes, heart disease, renal disease, 
lymphoma, and leukemia, and there were others. Nutritional factors that can lead to hyperuricemia, which can then lead to gout, include excess intake of high purine foods, and we'll talk about what those are in just a second, excess intake of fructose, and excess intake of alcohol, especially beer and hard liquor. This is why the disease was historically called the disease of kings because of these lavish foods that these wealthy people would would partake in. Now, high purine foods that can trigger gout include organ meats, red meats, things like shrimp, mussels, lobsters, anchovies, sardines, and wild game. And then moderate purine foods include things like oatmeal, spinach, bunch of different kind of beans, cauliflower, and of course, there are others as well. But this gives you an idea of the wide range of foods that somebody with gout would either have to avoid or limit. Now, gout can also occur secondary to pharmacological treatment for other conditions. The main culprit drugs are thiazide and loop diuretics, which are often used to treat hypertension and prevent fluid volume overload in patients with heart failure. Other drugs that can lead to hyperuricemia and then gout include low-dose aspirin, anti-tubercular drugs, cytotoxic chemotherapy, and the immunosuppressants cyclosporine and tacrolimus. Now, certain individuals are at higher risk for the development of gout. This includes males, those of advanced age, postmenopausal women, and individuals from certain ethnicities such as African-American, Hmong, and Pacific Islanders. Now let's talk briefly about the four phases of gout. So if gout isn't treated, it can progress through four clinical phases. So in phase one, we have asymptomatic hyperuricemia. In this phase, the patient's urate levels are elevated, but they don't have any signs or symptoms of gout. And then phase two is acute gouty arthritis. And I said gouty like the artist, gouty, acute gouty arthritis. In this phase, the patient has swollen and painful joints. So it's typically at this phase that someone would start to seek medical care. And then phase three is intracritical gout. Now this phase can last for months up to years. During this phase, the patient could be asymptomatic. Many times, though, they have occasional flares of gout. And then phase four is chronic tophaceous gout. In this phase, which can occur many, many years after the first attack of gouty arthritis, clusters of urate crystals called tophi develop in the soft tissues, the synovial membranes, the cartilage, and the tendons. So again, the phases were asymptomatic hyperuricemia, and then phase two, acute gouty arthritis. Phase three, intercritical gout, which could be asymptomatic with flares occasionally. And then phase four, chronic tophaceous gout, where we have these clusters of crystals called tophi. Now, tophi can damage bone and tissue and even lead to deformity and loss of mobility. Over time, the skin over the tophi can degenerate and ulcerate and cause a white exudate to be released. 
So let's talk a little bit about the complications of gout. In addition to physical disability and pretty significant pain, gout can also lead to the formation of renal calculi, infections secondary to tophi rupture, atherosclerosis, and all the things that come with that, and nerve damage. So now that you understand the basics of gout, let's dive into how we care for these patients using the straighting nursing latte method. So the first letter is L. How does the patient look? Essentially, what we're driving at here is what are the patient's signs and symptoms. So a patient with gout will be complaining of severe to intense pain in a joint. Most often, this is first noticed in the metatarsophalangeal joint. Now, the pain usually follows a predictable pattern where it will peak within 24 hours and then gradually resolve over 7 to 10 to 14 days. Many patients report the pain starts at night. Now, if you're reading a chart and you see the term podagra, P-O-D-A-G-R-A, podagra, this is a medical term meaning the pain is in the big toe, which is a very, very common sight for it to first be noticed. Other sites are the knees, ankles, elbows, and the feet. Now, depending on the stage of gout, the patient may also have tophi, which can occur in many locations of the body. Common sites for tophi include the penna of the ear, elbows, hands, knees, lateral forearms, and even the Achilles tendon. If a tophi has caused the overlying skin to ulcerate, that white exudate may be present. So next is the letter A that stands for assessments. How do we assess our patient with gout? So key assessments are centered around the patient's musculoskeletal status. Look for pain in the affected joints as well as range of motion to understand how the condition affects the patient's mobility and their ability to perform their ADLs. The pain with gout can have a significant impact on quality of life, sleep, social connections, and work. It is also beneficial to perform a thorough pain assessment, utilizing a standard format such as the OPQRST format. So let's go through what that might look like. O stands for onset. When did the pain start? Did it come on suddenly or did it ramp up over time? The patient with gout will often tell you that the pain started in the middle of the night and came on suddenly. P stands for provocation and palliation. Basically, you ask the patient, what makes the pain worse and what makes the pain better? A patient with gout might state that the pain is worse after eating specific foods such as anchovies or organ meats and that anti-inflammatory medications may help or ice might help or elevating the affected extremity could be something that might help their pain. Q stands for quality. What is the quality of the pain? Try to get the patient to describe it. Patients with chronic gout may state the pain is a continuous dull ache, while an acute attack may be described as sharp and stabbing pain. Next is the letter R for radiate. Does the pain radiate anywhere? The pain associated with gout is typically localized to the affected body part. And then S stands for severity. What is the severity of the pain on a 0 to 10 scale? 
The patients suffering from an acute attack will often report the pain as very severe. And then T stands for time. How long ago did the pain start? Now, an acute attack typically resolves within 10 to 14 days, and patients, as you saw as we were discussing earlier, can have gout for years with recurrent flares. So the answer here will vary from patient to patient. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Co features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long. You also want to assess those areas of TOFI. If the patient has ulcerated skin over those areas, examine the exudate if it's present for signs of infection. This includes localized erythema in the area, warmth, pain, and that purulent drainage. Next is a letter T for tests. What tests will be conducted for a patient who has gout? So, key tests for a patient with gout include a serum urate level. Hyperuricemia is present when serum urate is above 6.8 to 7 milligrams per deciliter. The patient may also undergo arthrocentesis. So, in this procedure, a needle is inserted into the affected joint and synovial fluid is obtained, and they can also get samples from that TOFI and examine them. Microscopic evaluation can identify the presence of urate crystals, and if there are signs of infection present, it could show that as well. If the patient has calcium pyrophosphate crystals, the patient has a condition similar to gout called pseudogout, but they don't have the standard typical gout. And then we have x-ray. X-ray of the affected joints will show damage to bone and cartilage in chronic gout and TOFI are visible as chalky white nodules with a crystalline center. A CT scan could also be done. Dual Energy Computerized Tomography, or DECT, looks at the joint from many angles to show the presence of those urate crystals. And then ultrasound. Ultrasound uses sound waves to detect the presence of TOFI or the urate crystals in the joints. Now, the next letter in the latte method is a T for treatments, what treatments are provided for a patient who has gout. So treatments for gout will depend on whether the condition is acute or chronic and if the patient's having an acute attack right now or not. The goals of therapy are to stop an acute attack if it's occurring, reduce urate levels, and prevent future attacks from occurring. So to treat an acute gout attack, both pharmacology and dietary modifications will be utilized. First, we have NSAIDs. NSAIDs are often used short-term in the treatment of gout for their anti-inflammatory properties. And then we have corticosteroids. Corticosteroids such as prednisone may be used during an acute flare-up. Note that corticosteroids come with unpleasant side effects such as weight gain, mood swings, hyperglycemia, and hypertension. 
And longer-term use can lead to redistribution of body fat, osteoporosis, poor skin integrity, and higher risk for infection. Another medication used to treat a gout attack is colchicine. Colchicine disrupts leukocyte activation to disrupt the inflammatory response to those monosodium urate crystals. Its use, however, is typically avoided in patients with hepatic or renal impairment, and it can cause serious hematologic adverse effects, including leukopenia, thrombocytopenia, aplastic anemia, and a granulocytosis. More common adverse effects, though, are diarrhea, nausea, and vomiting. You'll monitor your patient for colchicine toxicity, which includes muscle weakness or pain, tingling in the periphery, bruising or unusual bleeding, signs of significant anemia, and severe vomiting or diarrhea. And then another key treatment is dietary modifications. The patient should follow a low purine diet and abstain from other triggering items such as fructose and alcohol, especially beer and hard liquor. And then a few non-pharmacologic therapies could include things like cold therapy, elevating the affected extremity or affected joint if possible, and immobilization and protection of those joints. Now, other medications are utilized to block uric acid production or improve the removal of uric acid by the kidneys. And either one of these approaches is going to lower those uric acid levels in the body. So allopurinol and febuxostat are both medications that block uric acid production. And allopurinol is much more common than febuxostat. So allopurinol is a xanthine oxidase inhibitor and, again, the most commonly used medication to treat chronic gout. It is also used to treat hyperuricemia secondary to the treatment of leukemias and tumors. Common adverse effects of this medication include a rash, which could be a sign of a potential serious reaction, such as Stevens-Johnson syndrome. If a patient develops a rash while taking allopurinol, the medication will likely be discontinued. The patient should increase their hydration to help prevent the formation of calculi, especially when combined with the uricosuric medication such as probenicid. If you want to take a deeper dive into allopurinol, make sure you go and listen to episode 202. A moment ago, I mentioned probenicid. So this is another medication that is used to treat hyperuricemia secondary to thiazide therapy and is a uricosuric medication, meaning it promotes renal excretion of uric acid. Patients should maintain adequate hydration to prevent the formation of uric acid stones. And then there's an IV medication called piglodicase, which may be used for gout that is refractory to treatment or in those who cannot take xanthine oxidase inhibitors such as allopurinol. Serious reactions can occur, including anaphylaxis, hemolysis, and methemoglobinemia. Now let's talk a little bit about lifestyle modifications for gout. A key component of gout therapy is dietary modification. Patients will be counseled to avoid those high purine foods and to have moderate purine foods only occasionally. 
Again, high purine foods are going to be things like organ meats, lots of different red meats, wild game, shrimp, lobster, mussels, anchovies, sardines, beer, and hard liquor. And then some common moderate purine foods would be things like oatmeal, spinach, beans, and cauliflower, though of course there are others. And then the other dietary modification is to avoid beverages that are high in fructose. And then what about some other lifestyle type modifications? These are aimed at reducing weight because obesity is a predisposing risk factor and improving mobility with exercise. Good options for a patient with gout include low impact activities that won't harm their joints. Swimming, cycling, and walking are all great choices. And then the final letter in the latte method is an E for educate. How do we educate our patient? What are the key things we want them to know? Well, since gout can be a chronic condition that requires careful management, education definitely plays an important role in preventing further progression of the disease and gout flares. So one thing you can do is teach the patient to keep a food journal. Not only can this help them adhere to dietary guidelines, it can also help them identify their specific trigger foods. You also want to teach the patient that dehydration can worsen gout. Staying hydrated promotes uric acid excretion and helps prevent complications due to the formation of renal calculi. You also want to make sure the patient understands when they're starting their allopurinol therapy that it's not going to stop an acute attack, but it is used long-term to prevent future attacks from occurring. While you're at it, teach the patient that sometimes allopurinol can trigger an acute attack when starting therapy. This is due to crystals lodging in joints as they are made smaller. The patient may receive another medication such as an anti-inflammatory during this time to help reduce the risk of an acute attack occurring. You also want to make sure the patient understands to notify their medical provider of any other medications they are taking. Some medications may increase the risk for hyperuricemia, which could increase their risk for more gout flares occurring. And you also want to make sure the patient understands how important it is that they follow their treatment plan. According to a 2020 study, less than 50% of patients actually followed their urate-lowering plans long-term. And then, of course, it goes without saying that there's a lot of dietary teaching. In addition to teaching the patient to use that food journal, they need to know what the high purine foods are that they should avoid, the moderate purine foods that they should have in moderation, and low purine foods that they can have more frequently. And again, avoiding alcohol, especially beer and hard liquor, and avoiding high fructose beverages. So I hope this overview of gout helps you understand this very painful and pretty common condition. If you found it helpful and you're not yet following the show, I'd love if you would subscribe or follow the show on whatever podcast player you are using. And I will see you back here next week. We're going to dive into a topic that I don't feel is fully explained in nursing school and even really fully understood by a lot of nurses. We're going to be talking about orthostatic hypotension. So I'll see you back here next week for that. Bye for now. 
This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing. At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment.